0: Welcome to another edition of Baffling Combustions with Andrew McCarran, Sam Truitt, and Sparrow as they plumb the mundane and cosmic strange. So here we are again with the inconclusions of our lives, and uh, my name is Sam Truitt.
1: And I'm Sparrow.
0: And my name is Andrew McCarran. And we're here today following on our last uh, sessions on the dream, marching right into what is surreal or surrealism with a specific gauge in this case, because we have sort of a track to follow of Andre Breton's manifesto on surrealism. Uh, which was published in 1924 and which would be the first Surrealist Manifesto there too. So we thought maybe we would, uh, in our next session, tackle the second manifesto. That's where we're at.
2: Yeah. Well, um, as you mentioned, the manifesto was um, first published in a booklet form in the year 1924. And I'm not, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it was co-authored with uh, Philippe Suppault, the
0: great Dadaist. Who- I We, we got to bracket that because I don't think that he it was co-offered with him. He's brought up, <laughs> oh. I think this guy's fault, he wrote the first book of, uh, uh, aka, you know, what's called Automatic Writing, uh, which I think was published, um, you know, three or four years before this manifesto. But he, uh, I guess in this by Breton, He mentions doing experiments with Supal.
2: Some of the experiments, some of the textual experiments in the manifesto were collaborations with Supal, the Dadaist.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Who
2: lived a very long life. He died around um, 100 in in 1990. Well, let's talk about this this first version of the Surrealist Manifesto. According to this document, Surrealism is defined as follows, and I'm going to read this quotation. Psychic automatism in its pure state by which one proposes to express verbally by means of the written word or in any other manner the actual functioning of thought. Dictated by thought in the absence of any control exercised by reason exempt from any aesthetic or moral concern. Unlike Freud, Andre Breton never thought that the psychoanalytic technique was a way to liberate human consciousness. But he did think it was a way to generate authentic and novel artistic forms. And what's interesting about the manifesto is that he makes it clear that the basic tenets of surrealism can be applied to any circumstance of life, not merely the artistic realm. I was struck uh, I think we all were, for that. that's why we selected this document, the fact that dreams are quite sent to the Surrealist Manifesto, dreams are highlighted because, as we discussed last time we met as a pod, dreams present us with content and feeling, and this is a quotation from the Manifesto, in the absence of any control exercised by reason, exempt from any aesthetic or moral concern. Dreams therefore author the purest fictions, undiluted and unredacted by our conscious minds. That's where I'll leave things at the moment. What struck what struck you guys about the manifesto? I, there are a lot of very um, interesting experiments in there, cut-ups, collages, automatic writing, uh, juxtapositions, engagements with the dream world. But all of it um, is meant to generate art artistic forms through experiment or indeed
0: resulting in sessions of us three talking (laughs) yeah the uh you know i've read this a bunch of times um you know maybe like four or five times variously it's not that long no it's not uh work so you know i I read it and then i'm like oh jeepers and then i forget it's (laughs) just like a dream but in in this particular reading i was struck by the language of war and mm. of power that mm. he deploys more or less through the manifesto, but more, most strikingly in the sort of first half. And I, and I could sort of reveal some of those instances. For example, in the third sentence or so, he speaks of the constraints of the reign of logic and of the narrow focusing on our, you know, quote unquote waking experience, et cetera, likens it to a cage, to some imprisonment, to being in a cage. Hmm. And then he uses the term conquering. That is that, that through dreams, through the, Depths of our minds conceal strange forces capable of augmenting or conquering those on the surface, that is the surface of our mm. of our waking state. And then he goes on to say: it is our greatest interest to capture them, to first to capture them and later to submit them, should the occasion arise to the control of reason. So there's a kind of militaristic and control Mm. and dominating. And I thought that was super interesting, which I hadn't actually noticed in my previous readings. He also goes on to say that, you know, that we're at the mercy of memory, um, you know, in terms of our relationship to dreams. Yeah. So that's just from the first two paragraphs. And there's a continuous refrain, two senses of, uh, you know, to kill, plunder, surrender, concede, overwhelm. Um, hmm. These very, like, kind of power uh, dynamics. Um, and, it, and it seems to me that at the back of it is an attempt to control the tempo. Control the cultural, social, cultural tempo coming out of the First World War, mm. which we've seen before.
2: And uh, this is only uh,
1: this is only five years after the end of the war. I guess we should point out.
0: Yeah, and I think that one thing that I also wanted to say is that the publication of this manifesto is nearly coincident with Gertrude Stein's composition as explanation. Actually, mm. yeah, mm. the lectures she gave at Oxford and Cambridge,
1: and also it's a manifesto. You know, the, a manifesto itself. I think, particularly for the French, and particularly in this era, was uh, kind of a, a call to arms. You know, it was a it was a very powerful contract. He's making a uh, uh, what is it that the Jews have with God? A uh, covenant. covenant. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, there's there, the, just the idea of writing a manifesto. I mean, in a way, there's a kind of absurdism to it, I think, that here's my manifesto. Here's what I believe. I believe that everything's a dream, you know, and to, to say that in this kind of uh, authoritarian, absolutist uh, style, like the Communist Manifesto. You know, maybe is that the first manifesto? I don't know. But if you, I was lately reading the Communist Manifesto, and if you read it, Marx is very certain about everything. And here's the revolution. This is what it's going to be like. These are the 10 points of the revolution, uh, which are pretty strange. There's going to be a national bank. Uh, you know, so in other words, this is kind of taken from the language of revolutionary politics, I think but it's a kind of inner revolution or some kind of a revolution almost against revolution, in a sense. A revolution, well, what is that great poem by Gary Snyder? The revolution in the revolution in the revolution. This is like the revolution moving within rather than without.
0: What uh-huh. Or a kind of reversal, um, chiasma, of taking mm-hmm. the um maybe perhaps in freudian language the subconscious and supplanting co- the con- consciousness or i thought you were going to say
1: you know like marxism is all about seizing the means of production and uh, surrealism is all about seizing the means of production of dreams <laughs> you know instead of uh, materialism of marx this is the dreamism where uh, where dreams become the the most important thing, not not so called reality, and so you have to seize the means of production. You have to go into the inner place where dreams are built, and and take that over. I think that arguably that's kind of what he's suggesting.
2: What do you think that the telos is of this of this revolution? What's the objective? what What does it look like when? Um people in a society do this live this way hmm. is there any well, answer to that question in the manifesto itself
0: well Why? i think that yeah i mean i think that he uh, posits this question could not dreams as well be applied to the solutions of life's fundamental problems That that Mm -hmm. is the aim of surrealism, is to solve life's fundamental problems, which he doesn't articulate clearly here, aside from instances of acknowledging, you know, that aging. And then subsequently, in this first manifesto, he brings up death. And I guess that is the fundamental life problem, isn't it? Is that we, is that there is no life, you know, that we die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think that one thing I wanted to say, Sparrow, is that, yeah, I do believe that it is a reach toward the means of dream manufacture, but Breton also says that surrealism does not have a methodology, hmm. right? He he, you know, gives one instance of this experiment in kind of an automatic writing that he engages with Supple, Philippe Supple. Yeah, um, but otherwise he doesn't. He doesn't go into you know, take out a notebook and um, put your head you know, dunk your head underwater for 30 seconds, um, well, you know, go outside and bellow like a wolf, that's... come back inside, take off your clothes, and sit down in front of the blank page. You know, he doesn't give any methodology.
1: Well, it, you know, he says this. It was with this in mind that Philippe Soupault, with whom I had shared these first conclusions, and I undertook to cover some paper with writing with a laudable contempt for what might result in terms of literature. The ease of realization did the rest. At the end of the first day, we were able to read to each other around 50 pages atta- obtained by this method and began to compare our results. So I guess the method is you just... And he seemed to be saying very clearly... Uh, that you just write down every single thought that comes into your head. And he even says, I think somewhat brazenly, that you can write as fast as you can think, which I don't think is true. Well, he he
0: talks about the pace of thought and the pace of writing. Does he straight up say that writing can maintain the speed at which thought occurs? I mean, yeah, I have always it is, considered speech to be the closest to the speed of thought.
1: He says to me, it seemed to me, and it still does, the manner in which the sentence about the man cut in two came to me proves it, that the speed of thought is no greater than that of words, and that it does not necessarily defy language or the moving pen. By that, I, I take it to be that that the speed of thought does not defy the moving pen, you can you can write as fast as you can think.
0: I guess maybe what I heard is that the speed of thought is the speed of language.
2: Mm.
0: I wasn't sure if he was also saying, you know, you can write as fast as you can speak or as words occur to you in your mind. Although it's also, I've always been impressed by people who can do stenography. Oh, yeah. that is just
1: it could be that he was a very fast writer, you know, that he did use some kind of shorthand or something.
0: Yeah. But I am interested, of course, in in speaking into a microphone, such as we're doing.
1: You know, oh, yeah. as
0: a means of, of getting as close as possible to the temporal horizon. Not temporal, the mental horizon? Ugh, did that sound right? But I don't Hot know if he... Horizon?
1: Have we still answer the question that Andrew posed. Uh, Mm. I know I had one thought about this, about what is the ultimate purpose of surrealism. I was thinking perhaps in a very, because I'm a very literal-minded person, as you may have noticed, you know, that maybe just for making decisions, let's say you have to decide whether Mm. to go to grad school, whether you should marry someone, um, Mm. whether you should move to a different city. Instead of using your rational mind and... uh, Sort of listing all the positives and negatives of each decision, you use your dream mind and you wait mm-hmm. for a dream to tell you, which I think is what people did for centuries, you know, probably through most of human history, people well, allowed themselves to be largely directed by dreams.
0: Well, as Andrew brought up in our last session, Gepius's practice, um, you know, which is, which within Greek society, was one of the pillars of healing, you know, mm. equal to Hippocrates. Um, yeah. Hippocrates. I mean, the one thing Hippocr- that I would say, you know, that Breton does speak of toward a kind of an aim in that section, which is designated with the number four.
1: Mm.
0: Um, and he he writes there... The dream's curve, when the dream's curve is developed with an unequaled breadth and regularity, then we can hope that mysteries, which are not really mysteries, will give way to the great mystery. I believe Hmm. in the future resolution of these two states, outwardly so contradictory which are dream and reality into mm. a sort of absolute reality, a surreality, so to speak. I am aiming for its conquest. Again, that use of um, military mm. kind mm. of language. Certain that I myself shall not attain it. He's like Moses, but yeah. to indif- John the Baptist, to yeah. indifferent to my death not to calculate the joys of such possession. So I think he's arguing that through dream practice and the integration of the dream state into the waking, et cetera, et cetera, Mm -hmm. that we'd be approaching some unified field.
2: Well, I'd like to point out um, along these lines, a few paragraphs down, that he does um, make reference to his work in Freudian psychology And he mentions that he worked with sick people during the war. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I noticed that. um, That was interesting. There wasn't um, some sort of therapeutic dimension to the application of surrealism vis-a-vis automatic writing with these sick individuals. I just assumed that these sick individuals were um, suffering from shell shock. Mm. I I Mm -hmm. mean... that into the paragraph who knows maybe he was dealing with people who were sick with spanish influenza totally i am involve, totally involved as i was at the time with freud and familiar with his methods of examination which i had had some occasion to practice on the sick during the war it does bear mentioning that sigmund freud around this period of time published his work beyond the pleasure principle which hmm. begins with um, some review of the work that Freud did with um, veterans suffering from shell shock, hmm. from um, battle trauma. But moving back into the Breton quotation, I resolved to obtain for myself what one seeks to obtain from a patient, a spoken monologue uttered as rapidly as possible, over which the critical faculty of the subject has no control unencumbered by any reticence which is spoken thought as far as such a thing is possible it seemed to me and still does the manner in which the sentence about the man cut in two came to me proves it that the speed of thought is no greater than that of words and that it does not necessarily defy language or the moving pen okay that's right takes us and then,
0: to yeah 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 and that's yeah and then and then you know He's saying that it is maybe as possible, you know, that it doesn't um, defy the capacity of the moving pen to record this spoken monologue. And then the one thing that is at the back of it for me is also Edgar Allan Poe, (laughs) that one of the aims of surrealism is similar to Fluxus um, Mm -hmm. in that, you know, the end of art you know, this sort of Hegelian end of history, et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 <laughs> in that Poe said that literature would end, would come to an end at the point at which a person were able to record their experience as they die. Huh?
2: Which what do you also ties into a
0: ton's mention of death. Actually, I don't,
2: I don't understand.
0: In other words, Poe said, and and I'd have to uh, go back and and you know find it, I suppose, and maybe i maybe I dreamed it <laughs> that if a person were capable of narrating their experience as they are dying. I guess, up to the point of their actual, you know, loss of not consciousness, but uh, that somehow piercing that veil between life and death would Uh be the end of literature.
1: I see. That's kind of like the ultimate goal of literature, sort of.
0: Right. You know, which actually is sort of the beginning of literature, you know, going back to Gilgamesh. No.
1: I mean one thing that strikes me about that phrase that's um uh, uh section that uh, Andrew just read is the uh the word monologue you know that suddenly hit me a spoken monologue uttered as rapidly as possible in other words that's the basis of surrealism is uh, seems to come directly out of uh, freudian psychoanalysis where you lay on a couch and you just talk. You say everything that comes into your mind without any uh, censure, you know, as much as possible. And I think maybe that is kind of the, uh, for me, the the limitations of surrealism. You know, I read somewhere that, uh, you know, uh, Buber wrote I and Thou. It came out the same year as Freud wrote The Ego and the Id. And uh, somebody said... If if Western civilization had adopted Buber instead of Freud, the, the, everything would be fine. <laughs> and, you know, Buber is saying, let's have a dialogue. Let's have two people talking to each other. That's what, that's what holiness is, is the conversation, the dialogue. And Freud is saying, well, actually, everything's going on inside each person. The ego, the id, and the superego are fighting. And that's the uh, story. And surrealism has that solipsism, you know. Uh-huh. It's a monologue. It's one person and their dream. And the rest of the world is a kind of illusion like a dream, too. And and that kind of loneliness of of uh, surrealism strikes me suddenly as, you know, as the kind of the problem with it.
2: Yeah, that's why I was asking, I think, Sparrow about the telos of it. Mm. I was especially given the um, the fact that it borrows from the political genre, the manifesto. I was mm. wondering what this looks like between people mm. in space and time, and I, I don't have a good answer. Um, there's this vague sense of um, personal freedom that you're mentioning, I mm. suppose, that could have positive social ramifications, consequences. But more than that, I gather that this is a means through which to create art, that the the emphasis on the and I love the language here. The sentence truly astounded me Um, that that one true sentence, that that authentic sentence that uh, he continues coming back to. What is it exactly? It's a man is cut in half by the window. Oh, yeah. Right. the, The grammar the poetics, the line comes to him spontaneously. He's not quite sleeping, but he's in a state that fascinated Freud. And that state is the hypnagogic state. And that's the state that individuals um, are lulled into through through hypnosis. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Freud got his start as a neurologist moving to Paris for a time and studying with the great 19th century neurologist Jean-Jacques Charcot, who um, discovered Lou Gehrig's disease, who discovered <laughs> um, That's why it's referred to as Charcot's disease in, in Europe. But it's getting into this hypnagogic state where you're neither awake nor asleep. You're between the two in that liminal zone
0: mm. where
2: um, all sorts of psychologically authentic material rises to the surface.
0: Uh-huh. And that's kind of a dialogic state. Yeah, I, I suppose There's between waking and sleeping. And that's kind of that is what, you know, as he says, um, you know, give way to the great mystery, the coincidence of dreaming and waking. But I would also say that a man cut in half by a window does become dialogical. In other words, he's cut in half. That means that there are two pieces mm. that then can See each other as discrete entities and engage in reintegration, or or not. I'm mm-hmm. also interested. I thought what you said super interesting, Sparrow, in terms of Martin Buber having taken taken the tempo for the 20th century, um, and that the dialogical is is a is a more uh, dynamic. But I would suggest that what we are engaged in, this triological, triological. S- yes. state, is maybe even a the one plus two equals three. That this is maybe even a more breadthy and depth depthy and comprehensive theater in which to engage with the fundamental questions of life. Amen.
1: Yeah. We're like a man cut in three by a window. And, and, um, and also uh, it's interesting that when he writes about that, he actually doesn't remember the exact phrase, a man cut in half by a window. He says, I still cannot remember the exact words to this day but it was something like a man cut in half by the window. So, you know, even there's a little uncertainty there. I mean, another thing that that really struck me at the beginning of reading this manifesto, which I admittedly mostly skimmed, was the fact that his definition of surrealism is entirely about uh, writing. He says um, it's verbally which is, he says, pure psychic automatism, which is intended to express either verbally or in writing. That's it. That's, those are the two options uh, for all of surrealism is that uh, you either write it down or you say it out loud. So in other words, what surrealism became, which was basically almost entirely in a movement in, in visual art, is not <laughs> even mentioned in the, uh, in the manifesto. And why is that? Here's my explanation. Here I'm going to mansplain surrealism
0: to Praise you other Lord. men.
1: Uh, why? Because the dream logic is a visual logic. It works much better in in as an image, visual, a visual image, than as words written down. Words written down don't quite capture. it. Where's the great surrealist novel? I can't even think of one. I mean, there must have been some, but, you know... You, None of them are remembered, you know, (laughs) and even poetry, which would you would think would be uh, a surrealist uh, mine. What's the word? Gold mine. Uh, Gold mine. Yeah. Minefield. I was going to say. You know, I've got this book, "Capital of Pain." I brought it here because it's by probably the greatest surrealist poet, Paul Eluard. Eluard. And I can read one of the poems if you want to hear. Well
0: the the one thing I would also want to say is that the term surrealism or surreal is not original to Breton, but is right. a bolinaire. Guillaume Apollinaire, <laughs> I believe during the war in nineteen seventeen, you know, was used in one of his essays. And you know what? I don't remember what the original context was in which he used that word,
2: mm. but at any
0: rate, Andre appropriated it, uh, appropriated it again, another military term, <laughs> um, you know, and and then drove it into the dream field. And
1: he gives uh uh Brit he gives uh, a fallen credit. He does right. Yeah, in homage to Guillaume Apollinaire, who died recently and who appears to have consistently obeyed a similar impulse to ours without ever really sacrificing mediocre literary means, Sopo and I used the name Surrealism to designate the new mode of pure expression.
2: Then he, uh, he points out that Apollinaire only went so far in the same telegraph. Apollinaire, on the other hand, possessed only the letter of Surrealism. which was perfect, and showed himself powerless to give it the theoretical insight that engages us.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's also interesting in that Apollinaire died of a head injury sustained in the war.
1: Huh. And also, uh, the man cut in half by a window, uh, I want to point out, it sounds like an image from the war. Or, anyway, could be an image in the war. Like, yeah, I could picture a man, you know, there's a bomb goes off, the window perhaps is uh, thrown into the room, the man is slashed in half by it. And it would say, it's, you know, it's a, it's, yeah, you know one, one could argue that war itself is surrealism. <laughs>
0: what's interesting also in his description of that image is that he hypothesizes that. In the dream, a man is sticking his head out of the window, like leaning out of the window, looking Mm. out, Um, recalling Kierkegaard, who once said that only idiots stick their head out the window to gawk at the crowd. (laughs) Uh, Something like that. And at any rate, a person has put their head out the window, is looking out of the window from the inside and then lifts themselves back out and the structure through which they were looking then becomes incorporated like a kind of corset or as a something around the waist and then is walking around with the frame of the window still attached to them Mm. and I think in some ways that This image to my mind reflects what many people do is they get a little glimpse of reality of how the nature of the world is on the outside of ourselves. Mm. We get that little glimpse and then we take it with us. You know, we become the window becomes part of us, part of our walking structure, Mm. and we tend to then interpret uh, that glimpse that we had of surreality then becomes that which we identify with. Does that make sense to you that we carry that window around with us? The means by which we were able to glimpse then becomes part of us and we actually, like a person walking around with the window frame, becomes very awkward and incapable of free movement. So I think, <laughs> again, you know, we become identified with wor- with certain stories or we become mm. identified with concepts, with ways of seeing mm. that which André Breton is thundering against, namely that we then apply it to this idea of super, uh, excuse me, um, process, applied secondary interest remains, the absolute rationalism allows us for the consideration of only those facts narrowly relevant to our experience. Mm. So it's interesting, we actually want to shatter the window. And, you know, as Whitman said, you know, pull the doors from their jams. (laughs) You know, we want to take apart the house. I
2: preach, brother. I I think that what 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 you say is very interesting. I was reading that image slightly differently. Can I share my reading? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This this is an exercise in surreal. No offense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like what you said, but uh, dot dot. No, I think it's brilliant. But I did notice. I think this is a psychoanalytic. Image and I think we have to be mindful of the fact that the incessant sentence, the highly incessant sentence, a man is cut in half by the window, um, knocked at the window. It seemed to me a highly incessant sentence, a sentence I might say which knocked at the window. I think that it's a window into the um, subconscious. I think it's a win- window into the unconscious realm that cuts us in half. Sarah had mentioned the ego and the it it cuts us in half into the tripartite soul into having a conscious mind and an unconscious mind um, you know, looking deep within looking into the um, abyss um, will change one that it, you you do have in essence two minds at least mm-hmm. that um, the look inward the inward gaze cuts us in half
1: and then so and then yeah. how do you interpret the That's- fact that he, the guy's walking around, and the window's still with them. Is that that's sort of similar to what Sam was saying—that well, you you Sam, keep that that consciousness with you, and so yeah, that, is that, that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, that becomes part of you. What is it that Nietzsche wrote in Beyond Good and Evil? To stare into the abyss means to become the abyss. Something <laughs> lines, but it it resonates with what Sam was saying. I'm paraphrasing; it's not the um, verbatim. Mm.
0: Hmm. Yeah, dig it. Hmm. I I agree with you. I I don't think, you know, whether you're leaning out the window, looking out or leaning in the window, looking in or, you know, I think that they're reversible. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And why do you think? Is it just um, this copy? But there there, there are words that um, are separated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very weird. Right. And that begins, I've noticed, in the paragraph I think where the uh, man is cut in half by the window. And no, from that's that not true.
1: It's on the fourth line. Okay, so strike. boundaries have been assigned. Boundaries have been assigned even to experience, but it's X hyphen space experience, okay. almost as if like it used to be periods, now it's experience. He's like. <laughs> Former, former periods. This,
2: this new sur- surrealistic grammar—it is reminiscent mm-hmm. of Stein in many
0: respects.
1: I think it's just some weird. You know, we're not recording now.
0: We're not. No, no, no we see. are. We are recording. We're at thirty-four minutes fifty-three. Oh, oh yeah, sorry, just, I, I couldn't see. Not, it. Those are just anomalies of the printout. If you have printed it out, the experience, the X dash, and then a gap and then periods. That's just um, idiosyncrasies of the of the digital copy that we have. That's not in the text. Oh right. Yeah, but it, that, it is.
1: Contextual. It is kind of fitting though that it, that it uh, creates a sort of surrealistic effect. And that's yeah. I think one sort of aspect of surrealism is kind of contagious. Like you, you start looking for surrealism and you really see it everywhere because it is everywhere.
2: Now, along those lines, I have a question for the two of you. Have mm-hmm. you had a sentence that ha- has come to you in a dream or a hypnosis oh. that were you? Because I have. It hasn't happened very often, but there's one instance yeah. that, that I have a recollection of where I just sort of woke up with the sentence and with this phrase in mind. I, I didn't know what it meant at all. But I I knew on some level that it was significant emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, and I did jot it down. Which was, what was it? I'll tell you. Um, Browned by the sun into crystal and crystalline. I don't know what that means, browned by, I I don't even use that word crystalline. I didn't even know really what it meant. Browned by the sun into crystal and crystalline. And I, it's I, it's, it's I, funny
1: because it has a little bit of a similar vibe to uh, uh, In Xanadu did Kubla Khan, uh, an ancient pleasure dome decree. In Xanadu you
0: know, did Kubla Khan, an ancient pleasure dome decree. Yeah, and he uses the word crystalline, I think, uh, soon after that.
1: And, and it, it's, uh,
2: that. you maybe.
1: know, so that's the famous opium dream of. Coleridge.
2: Well, um, I I see parallels. I I think that this happens to people where these 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 sentences come. Um, Have it has it happened to either
0: of you? Uh, you Oh, well, I mean, I I, it definitely happened to me. But I wanted to to say that use of the word brown is interesting. Mm. I guess it means like getting a tan. So it's got like that California to it, yeah, Yeah. and then and then it makes sense. I mean, we exist on the surface of the sun, to my mind, you know, and that we are these crystal and crystalline structures, fractal forms, Mm. and our experience, also, you know, through in part insights emerging from this period and cubism, and also Duchamp, etc you know, has that fractal, crystalline mm. um, iteration, reiteration, repetition.
1: Mm. Cubism, yeah, is baby basically crystals. Yeah. That's kind of interesting.
0: But for me, I mean, you know, significantly, I wrote a book based on two instances of lines spontaneously arising in my mind. You know, this book, Anamorphosis Eisenhower, the first line, being but her favorite poems take place underwater. <laughs> that line occurred to me and then the other line that occurred to me which i saved for the end of the book is but i i found a death's head on her tit and huh. made of that an attic grace added attic attic like greek
1: yeah yeah capital a attic
2: you know yeah. You know, Sam, just as, as a side note, when I first met you, before I knew you, um, we, we met at Bard briefly, one of those language and thinking training weekends, the first one you were at a long time ago, and uh, I met you and then went back to the city, and the next day was in the Strand um, off Union Square, just sleuthing around the poetry section, and found your book there. Yeah. just sort of fell into my hand. Which book?
0: What's the the Eisenhower Anamorphosis Anim, Eisenhower. Anamorphosis Eisenhower. But I think what? that there are lines that that, you know, arise spontaneously without necessarily, you know, outside of cause and effect. Um, you know, or or yeah, that um and oftentimes they're the most meaningful intercessions or you know, and, and sometimes can be real moments of Big change, for sure.
1: And also, they could be funny, which uh, which uh, Breton um, uh, just mentions in this manifesto. He talks about how.
0: Oh yeah, here he
1: says it right
0: here. Yeah, um, he likens it to the absurd. But he says,
1: and here and there, an acutely comic passage. He's still talking about the uh, the experiments he and Sopo did. So uh, it's funny that the comic element was almost immediate. Like it almost uh, reminds me of film itself. You ever see those early films by the Lumiere brothers um, who sort of invent, you know, it's an argument, but arguably they invented film like around 1898 and they started making these strange little films of like, like a 40 second film of a train coming into a station and then they were making a film of like a somebody watering the lawn. And they just, one of them decided, I'm going to like hose that little kid next to me. Like they inadvertently invented slapstick, you know, uh, just by improvising. And, mm-hmm. and it's kind of similar with the, uh, with surrealism, like something about that improvisational, um, Method re- releases humor.
2: Yeah. I yeah. Their films. They filmed a snowball fight.
1: The Lumiere
2: brothers? I'm pretty sure from 1898. Yeah, like 1898. Like a street scene, 40 seconds, where people are hurling snowballs and having a lot of fun. Huh. Smiling, which is, um, is not what I associate with filmic film, footage from that era.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Serious, right? I guess that's your point. These well, there's
1: something a little antic about the Lumiere brothers, as opposed to maybe uh, uh, Edison, who uh, I think almost uh, contemporaneously invented the camera, and I don't know that, he, I'm not sure he invented slapstick. Maybe,
2: maybe that's the therapeutic import of surrealism, is the absurdity,
0: hmm. is the laughter. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, one thing I would point out is that the camera is also the camera obscura, as I recall. Yeah. Yeah, and there's this passage, well, there's this section in the manifesto, what is ascribed to number two, where he talks about, and it's a slightly misogynist, um, but, but interesting idea of the idea and the woman where he writes, the mind hardly dares express itself, and when it does, is limited to stating that this idea, or that woman, has an effect on it. What effect it cannot say. Thus it gives the measure of its subjectivism and nothing more. The idea, comma, the woman, comma, disturbs it, disposes it to less severity. Their role is to isolate one second of its disappearance and remove it to the sky. And then he writes, then as a last resort, the mind invokes chance. You know, that mm. chance of mm. turning and, 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 uh, splashing water on the kid, you know, from the hose.
1: Oh, I see. Um,
0: yeah. A more obscure divinity than the others to whom it attributes all its aberrations you know to chance operations to chance
1: i think it's saying that the when you when you wake up from a dream you uh you think about the dream for a while and like for a while it just seems you're just sort of entranced by it and then you think well i guess it was just a bunch of random thoughts strung together just just chance nothing more i think that's what he's saying i'm not sure
0: Yeah, but I I think he's also saying that there is behind the dream, Mm. the realm of desire. I guess from his perspective as a man and him associating this idea or that woman, you know, that the idea and the woman, the desire to Mm -hmm. unite to Get into a concubescent state with the idea, which I guess is only possible <laughs> in the in the dream state, and and that one cannot return to speak of that union.
1: I think also it says a lot about the French, or at least about Breton, that for him an idea is like a woman. It's like a some kind of erotic experience, you know. Like, like this, this whole manifesto is a kind of erotic, uh, you know, rant in a way that, that he's in love with this idea, this idea, he's fallen in love with the idea of uh, automatism, of just uh, losing control, like you do in sex. <laughs> it's like yeah. an ejaculation, you ejaculate onto the page. All your thoughts, every idea that comes into your mind.
0: Yeah, That's... yeah, yeah. That that term surrender um, mm. haunts the manifesto.
1: Hmm.
2: Hmm.
0: You know, yeah. I want to
1: point out. I want to. I got to say this before we end that I really disagree oh. with uh, with Andrew about uh, the purpose of surrealism being art. I don't see anywhere in here that he says that surrealism is an art. The definition of surrealism does not uh, mention art. Yeah, and I'm not sure that that's anywhere in this that he's talking about creating Um, works of art.
2: I'm referring to the second. Oh, okay. That's that's, we'll get to that when we take up the second. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to investigate the degree to which surrealism is surrendered to art and to sort of being sh- in in some ways perhaps sort of specialized and shunted into one facet of our experience you know kind of actually caged perhaps yeah i mean that's
1: that's sort of what i feel from this manifesto is how surrealism essentially became a series of sort of uh, clichés you could almost say you go to a, a show of uh, Dalí, Salvador Dalí's paintings, which, you know, I have been to, you know, look at 50 of his paintings or 100 of his paintings, and here's, like, the naked woman's torso. Here's the sands of uh, Spain. Here's the giraffe on fire. You know, it becomes, surrealism becomes reduced to a kind of style uh, to, to a way of, uh, like you, you you look at a surrealist painting and you say, oh yeah, that's another surrealist painting. And here at the very beginning of it, I think Breton feels the kind of absolute uh, immensity of his idea that, it, that, it, that there's no way to confine it to any particular form or style. It's beyond form. Mm-hmm. almost deliberately.
0: Mm-hmm. There, there is something, and maybe it's a segue. I was trying to, you know, throw some, throw it into sort of a path out of that. But the, the one thing that I also noticed, though, that circles back to our analysis of the nature of dream is that Breton is very insistent that the state of the dream is continuous. And I thought this was relevant oh, yeah. in terms of Gertrude Stein and the idea of the continuous present. Hmm. Um, That's he writes in that first, first numbered section, he writes that, um, the dream in italics, according to all outward appearances, is continuous. Hmm. And then writes bears traces of organization, um, the nature of which is, is, Unascribed, and that its coordination is a matter of will, which is also, I think, a kind of military um, hmm. attitude or maybe Germanic attitude coming out of <laughs> the First World War. But then through that whole section, there's a, this idea of the continuation, conscious, um, you know, my dream of last night was a continuation of the pre- previous night's, and will be continued tonight. Um, I oh. think it's interesting because mostly I think, in terms <laughs> of again something that he denigrates, this idea of common sense. Usually, we think of dreams as something that is defined by their ending. Like mm. dreams end, the you know the end the dream ends. I wake up. The dream is over. I mean, Andrew. In terms of your dream experience, particularly of late, do you find that it's – would you ascribe a sense of continuousness to your experience in dream? I would. I would. This resonates with me. Um, The
2: dreams that I had were powerful dreams over that cluster of weeks. Each one was linked to the other. Huh. Even if there wasn't a sequence per se, a narrative sequence – they all were pieces, shards of glass in a stained glass window that sort of made sense when fitted together. Hmm. Hmm. So, um, well, I, what about, but well, yeah. what
1: about to the rest of your life? Like, did it start to be like your life was a dream and your dream was a life, sort of?
2: Um, not so much. Hmm. Not, not so much, but I could, imma- I could I'm open to that. I can imagine how that would be. Hmm. I know, um, I mean, it, that's a central tenet of psychoanalysis that. You know, dream, dreams um, provide windows into the subconscious, but you can get there while you're awake as well through automatic writing, through um, free association. Um, there, there are other ways of getting at that material. That is, it's always happening. It's it's your 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 you're, you're, you're unconscious mind is always working. You just you just see it or you feel it. You have a glimpse into it more acutely when you're dreaming.
1: Somebody once said to me, like I was teaching poetry or maybe giving a poetry reading, and somebody said, scientists say that there, every person every day has 25, you know, roughly 25 meaningless phrases come into their mind, you know, just arbitrarily. And that what I do, me as a poet, Sparrow, is, um, is I use those phrases and turn them into poems. You know, that's what uh, that's, that's cool. what this person said to me. Is it true? Do you, do you, do it you... is kind of true. I mean, I only write in the morning, but uh, which is why we are meeting today at noon. I mean, I don't even call it writing, but whatever I do, I do sometimes hear a phrase in my mind. I mean, the last one I can remember was nylon restaurant. <laughs> nylon restaurant, you know. and hmm. uh, uh, And then I'll write a poem about it, you know. Called Nylon restaurant. restaurant, and I think the poem is something like, "I sit in a nylon restaurant
0: eating an egg."
2: That's it. That's
0: it. Yeah. That's it, yeah. <laughs> I think so, that's it for this pot for this subject.
2: <laughs> Yeah,
1: but I must say Ted Berrigan always said that that uh, that we're constantly dreaming. He would say that all the time, and we've got to mention drugs before we quit. You know, drugs are a way to be to contact that underlying self, the unconscious or subconscious, which the surrealists used, unless I'm wrong.
0: (laughs) I think we should. I think we should uh, hold that thought and save it for our next session. Many thanks for joining us on this edition of Baffling Combustions and our ongoing investigation of the uncanny and wondrous. And please join us next time, and remember to stay tuned and strange.